there have been some notable lawsuits uh, over music copyrights. The Chiffons sued George Harrison because they thought he ripped off uh, my guy when he came out with My Sweet Lord. And there was the Hollies. They claimed that Radiohead's Creep ripped off their song, The Air That I Breathe. And most recently, Ed Sheeran has been accused of ripping off Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye in his song, Thinking Out Loud. Uh, I think this might be the third lawsuit over songs sounding like Let's Get It On, but none of these even come close to the story of the Verve's Bittersweet Symphony. This song has been involved in a 22-year-old legal controversy, uh, resulting in no royalties to the band, all because they used a five-note sample from a song inspired by the Rolling Stones. Welcome to the Coffee Buzz. I am Brad. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Attention is currency, and that is one of the reasons I appreciate you. Someone pointed out that I haven't done any coffee reviews in a while, and I thought I'd talk about this uh, wonderful coffee I'm drinking today. It's called Cafe Fair, which is a silly name, but the coffee's legit. Uh, I'm drinking the breakfast blend this morning. It's a medium roast, and like most of the breakfast blends, I think they're all pretty much medium roast, but it's really smooth, and I think they went with the name Cafe Fair because it's fair trade coffee, organic, uh, shade-grown, and this is a first. Uh, It's bird-friendly. I had to look this up, and it turns out... Native and migratory birds are increasingly dependent upon shade-grown coffee farms for food and shelter. Uh, The bird-friendly coffee farms only harvest coffee from trees planted under the canopy of existing forest. So buying shade-grown coffee, organic coffee stamped with the bird-friendly seal of approval not only helps protect wildlife habitats... It also discourages the clearing of forests for development of new coffee farms. Uh, I'm sold. I love birds. I like to drink my bird-friendly coffee while watching the birds going after the feeder in my front yard. Although since putting in the bird feeder now, I have the neighborhood stray cat that wants to hang out with the birds. So... Depending on how you look at this, it it could just be an elaborate bird trap. Uh, And you might say, Brad, that's that's cruel. You're you're a psychopath. But hey, at least the cat is a true carnivore, uh, not some under-evolved ape trying to pretend to be at the top of the food chain by eating flesh that causes them to get sick. But I digress. This episode isn't about cats or birds, or apes. It's about the Verve.
I go way back with this song, Bittersweet Symphony. It uh, came out in 1997. I was 23 at the time, and this song really spoke to me. I love the existential theme about how we're all just caught up in the rat wheel of materialism and consumer culture. It's also a song of self-defiance in the face of all that obsession with status. And at the time this song came out, I, I had no money. Uh, I didn't even own a car. So I really identified with these lyrics. I, it was one of the ways I judged people that were more successful than me. And I latched onto this song fairly early in its release. It didn't take long for it to catch on everywhere, though. It launched the band into huge stardom. Uh, it was used in ads and TV shows. It won a Grammy for Best Rock Song. Uh, you couldn't escape this song in the late 90s. Ironically, the Verve never got a dime of it. They were what I would call like a mid-level up-and-coming band when this album Urban Hymns came out. Uh, this is the one that featured Bittersweet Symphony. But once that single was released, everybody was talking about them. Their most popular song, arguably their best song, and they had no claim on how it was used and also received no royalties. It's one of the greatest tragedies in rock and roll copyright tales. Part of what makes this song so great is how grand it sounds. Uh, that was a lot to do with the orchestral elements. Uh, the group's frontman, Richard Ashcroft, was about ready to scrap the song uh, until his producer put the strings on top of the track. And that's when Ashcroft got really excited about it. But that's also where it all went sideways. The Verve layered nearly 50 tracks to come up with that perfect orchestral sound. And part of that was a string sample from Andrew Oldman's orchestra. Uh, they did a version of the Rolling Stones the last time. At this point, uh, the group had to get permission to use the sample, uh, but it turned out to be much more difficult than that. Uh, during the 60s, orchestral pop was really big, and what they would do is take a popular band like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Beach Boys, and they would do an orchestral version of their popular songs. Uh, and this was the case in Andrew Oldman's reworking of the Stones and his hit, uh, the album was called Storybook. And so one of those tracks was The Last Time.
This is where it gets a little complicated. The Verve was granted the rights by Decca Records to use the five-note sample and release the song in the summer of 97. But the Verve couldn't release the track until they got permission from this company, ABKCO. Uh, They own the rights to everything that the Stones recorded up until 1971. The Verve didn't think to get permission from the underlying Stones track that inspired the instrumental track until after their song was released. And and really, why would they? (laughs) The orchestral version was only inspired by the Stones song. At this point, the Verve's manager calls up the president of ABKCO to try to work something out. They flat out deny it. (laughs) Um, Then the president of EMI Records personally flies out to meet the, uh, the head guy of this company, Alan Klein. He's been called the music industry's boogeyman. Uh, he's basically this financial auditor who took his skills to the music world, and he's partially responsible for the Beatles breakup. Paul McCartney despises him uh, because of how he mismanaged the band. He was a, uh, a real piece of work, as they say. <laughs> So the president of EMI, he plays Klein the album. He outlines how Bittersweet Symphony is the obvious single, and it's essential that they get the license to use it. And Klein still initially says no, because he didn't believe in sampling, uh, probably because he's an accountant that doesn't understand art or music at all. He's just a leech on the system. (laughs) But at this point, EMI and the Verve were in a really tight spot. So Klein agrees to let them use the sample. And the Verve says the deal was supposed to be a 50-50 split. But when the song started to do well in the charts, Klein stated they used a larger portion than the sample than originally agreed upon. And he sued them for plagiarism. The band decided to settle out of court thinking it would be cheaper than litigating the whole thing. Uh, but then Klein demanded 100% of the royalties and the songwriting credits be changed to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Oh yeah, remember that Grammy that the song won? It had Jagger's and Richards' name on the ballot. The Verve lost everything. Uh, They broke up two years after this album came out. They couldn't earn money from their biggest hit and maybe worse... They had no control over the song's use. Nike wanted to use the track in an ad, but after the Verve said no, they went to Klein and he agreed. The last thing the Verve wanted was their music being used in commercials. And Klein began exploiting the song in ads all around the world. Uh, Today, Bittersweet Symphony is one of ABKCO's highest earning compositions. It also gave a nice payday to the Stones, who had absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, The deal should have been between Oldham and the Verve only. Uh, To make matters worse, Oldham eventually sued the Verve for $1.7 million over royalties. But the songwriter who arranged the actual orchestral version of The Last Time was not Oldham. He was a man called David Whitaker, who isn't even listed as a composer 
and gets no credit during the whole legal dispute. And if anybody was going to get credit for Bittersweet Symphony besides the Verve, it should have been him. And then the story, believe it or not, gets worse. In 1999, Keith Richard does an interview with Q Magazine, and they asked him if he believed the result was fair. He said, quote, I'm out of whack here. This is serious lawyer shit. If the Verve can write a better song, they can keep the money. But even the Rolling Stones track was a ripoff. It was inspired by a different song by the Staples Singers. And the staple singers never got any royalties, uh, nor did the Stones offer any. It's a traditional song that goes back in time. No one owned the rights to it. Anyone could have made it their own rendition, and it's common, actually, for classic rock bands back then to rework songs by black artists, and then what they do is completely lock the track down with copyrights. What's ironic is that the copyright was originally intended to encourage people to create art, and it's basically done the opposite of that. Keith Richards said that the Staples Singer song allowed the band the ability to build on something, uh, try to create their own version. And what's interesting is, is they showed no generosity when the Verve tried to build upon their work. And to be fair, this wasn't really the Rolling Stones' fault. Uh, this was the douche canoe known as Alan Klein's fault. Uh, sadly, the music industry they look at creativity like it's some sort of commodity. But for me, this will always be the Verve song. And it actually does have somewhat of a happy ending. Last year, Ashcroft reignited the controversy around the song again. But rather than engage in this long legal battle with ABCKO, Richard appealed to Jagger and Richards directly. Uh, the two Stones members basically agreed to help Ashcroft get his song back. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Jagger and Richards voluntarily removed their names from the songwriting credits, and they gave him all the royalties that have been derived from the song since it came out. So, way to go, guys. A little late. 22 years late, but uh, better late than never. You can find my website at thecoffeebuzzpodcast.com. It's my own weird little corner of the internet. Stop by if you get a chance. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week. It's just someone's name. Underneath the song, 
It's the biggest stones hit since brown sugar, you know. We even, we even write hits for the stones these days.